We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen, John McKechnie here with you. It is October 9th already, 2019. And John, UCLA is once again completely lifeless and it is dead. Yeah, and, and I think one of the uh, one of the UCLA fans is trying to sell a, a broken Chip Kelly uh, on uh, Craigslist. Oh, is that... Are we still doing like the fake Craigslist posts? I think UCLA brought him back. I think Chip <laughs> Kelly, you know, it, it lines up with like Chip Kelly's dominance yeah. and, and everything, you know, early part of the decade. So it makes sense for UCLA to, to rebel or rebel in that way. And, and uh, <laughs> it's kind of in the same category to me of like creating a Twitter account for a specific item. Remember how big that was in like 2011? Where there'd be like 
Chip Kelly's clipboard would also oh, have a Twitter account. Like after he, if he made he like a back or, or his, his play sheet, you know, would have something like that. Uh, maybe changing his Wikipedia page. Uh, always a classic. Everyone loves that. The, Super the, the Wikipedia one still gets me sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. I think it's done for me. I think in. I had enough at in about 2014. Super, super funny about eight years ago. It's gotten progressively less funny since then. Yeah, yeah. I just, I probably need to grow up a little bit. <laughs> um, nonetheless, plenty to get to this week. Uh, a very busy week six in college football. And we have in front of us potentially an even busier week seven with a, a ton of really, really high profile games uh, on the slate. But as usual, we, we can start by looking back at the week that was. Once again, I was at another wedding out of state this week. Not a single TV in the, sight. The people you know just are not getting the wedding seasons over memo. I, it was way too late. This wedding actually had a blanket bar, um, which I did not had never heard of. Didn't know that was a thing. But it was cold. It was an outdoor wedding, and more importantly, it was super windy. So luckily, they just had like this giant rack of blankets for everybody to just use and and eventually take home. They're very nice blankets. Um, so that was kind of cool, you know, college football aside, but, uh, I was unable to watch really any of the night games. However, it was a later wedding. It didn't start until like five thirty central time. So I got to watch, you know, the 11 AM games, AKA Wisconsin, yep. Michigan, Iowa, all those. And we got to watch, it was in, uh, Des Moines. So we got to watch most of, uh, the Iowa state TCU game I had to duck out of there like mid third quarter. Um, but you know, it went better than some weddings. Like I, I feel like at least I wasn't being taunted. Like I was at the wedding I mentioned two weeks ago where I counted seven TVs, um, probably 42 to 45 inches in size, all flat screens. Um, it is 2019 mounted, uh, you know, all around, uh, ready to be turned on. None of which were turned on. At least this one didn't even have a TV. So I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't tempted, I guess, to, to try to find a way yeah, to get it on TV. Like, yeah, you, you didn't have your conditioned response of TV on wall. Why not on? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I've, we're kind of I'm kind of going through that of fight or flight right now in the office. We were undergoing some renovations. We're recording this later than we normally would because there's been some extremely loud noises uh, in the office this week. I frighten easily uh, like a cat, so like I've been running under my desk yep. a lot. Yeah, it's yep. been it's been a whole ordeal. Don't want to brag too much, but we're expanding our office. We <sighs> told the guys across the hall, "Get the hell out of here! We're taking over." That's exactly what we're doing. We're knocking down some walls. There's like half of the office is covered in a giant sheet of plastic wrap right now to keep uh, debris and, and other shrapnel from flying into the office. Uh, but we couldn't, we can't close the door. That's the thing. The door locks automatically from the outside. So it's been extremely loud. And we basically had to wait for all the construction guys to leave before we could record this podcast. But uh, that meant more time for prep. That meant more time to look back now at week six. You want to start with Ohio State? I do. I think that, you know, they, they continue on this run here. And I feel like we knew that they hadn't really played a great team yet to this point. And Michigan State, not that we really consider them a great team, but they're a team that can make anyone look human and make anyone look mortal. Um, so we knew that there would be a test here with, with that Spartan defense really uh, ranking high in pretty much every metric you can imagine. So Ohio State just kind of took care of business, did what they needed to do, winning that one 30, 34 to 10. Uh, that was a game that for like DFS purposes, Michigan State, and that'll be a recurring theme again 
for today, like I just have a hard time feeling good about using teams or using individual players against Michigan State. I just feel like they drag the tempo of the game down more often than not, and kind of, you know, you reach less than optimal outcomes for the for these uh, players. So like even Justin Fields uh, was not as appealing as he normally would be, and you know, as a result, um, you know, Michigan State did kind of live up to that and slowed him down relative to other teams there. But overall, you know, another quality win for Michigan State here beating a ranked opponent and uh, looking looking pretty good doing it this was by far the toughest test that Ohio State has faced as you mentioned uh, and this is a game that they led 27 to 10 at the half they only only scored seven points in the second half we've kind of seen them take their foot off the gas in the second half of other games this year but you know I think if it were up to them they would have kept scoring whereas you know against Miami of Ohio that kind of called the dogs off a little earlier meant then maybe that they had to but this was kind of the first game to me the big takeaway is that Justin Fields looked borderline human he threw an interception he only threw two touchdown passes uh he only had one rushing touchdown um you know th- this Ohio State offense like like you said I mean Michigan State even though they don't have the talent to really keep up even though this was a ranked versus ranked matchup and, and it was a huge spread and we kind of knew how this was going to go Michigan State does have the ability to to muck up just about any team that they face and you know, Ohio State is just such a superior team talent-wise that it doesn't really matter. But when you look at a team like, say, Wisconsin, who's next on the schedule for Michigan State, uh, that worries me a little bit. Sure. Yeah, it, sh- it should. You know, it, and we haven't seen what anything looks like with John- if Jonathan Taylor isn't ripping off, you know, a million yards per carry. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll by get- far the record. <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll get into a further breakdown of that here in, in a minute. But mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like there there is some reason for concern there, but. Uh, I don't know. I still feel. I still feel like I like uh, Wisconsin's chances for this weekend. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I wish I got to see a little bit more of the Ohio State Michigan State game. I was at the Rotowire Steak Dinner mm. uh, at the time, so mm. I, I too w- was tied up for a lot of the evening. Literally, <laughs> I was bound. <laughs> that's what. Yeah, that's part of the charm of the tornado room. Actually, <laughs> you get in there and just immediately uh, you hit the chambers. But. Yep. Um, yeah, from from what I could tell, uh, another quality win for for uh, mm-hmm. Ohio State there, and yeah, a, a very fun Rotowire steak dinner once again. Yeah, I believe I received a photo on the app Snapchat of mm-hmm. you uh, consuming what appeared to be beer, could have been apple juice, Uh-oh. out of a large glass boot. Um, uh, it would have been around probably nine to ten p.m. Central Time that this happened. The boots got out early. One of our uh, one of our. Uh, famous listeners, uh, one of our more dedicated listeners. It, it was his last weekend in mm-hmm. town, so we had to send him off correctly after the dinner, yeah. and that, of course, involves uh, drinking uh, fermented barley and hops out of a glass boot. Yeah, we know how that goes. Last thing from this game, um, I don't think I've personally talked about Master Teague the third. We've talked about a lot of the, the best names in college football this year, and at some point we'll just do or maybe I'll just do like a full like ha- half hour kind of bonus pod where I just talk about these guys. It's up on our Patreon. Master Teague the third, just unreal, unreal names. It does feel like we we hit maybe a lull in the like 2009 through 2015. Just not a lot of great names, not a lot of memorable names. Right now they're they're just all over college football. I feel like all the all the weird names that you saw that you heard of, um, maybe on like Facebook, you know, in the early aughts, are 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 finally like at the age now that they're playing college football and that's where we're getting guys like this it's a beautiful thing and i mean he he kind of in, reintroduced himself to the nation against nebraska two weekends ago um that they, they sort of just they let jk jk dobbins chill a little bit in that game mm-hmm. and, and let teague kind of just take the hits and 
he was mostly delivering them and he he's good again um and he was one of the top recruits in the i believe the class of 2018 as a running back i think he's from uh like kentucky or something tennessee like that. tennessee murfreesboro okay. tennessee okay so i can't believe middle tennessee couldn't keep him there but <laughs> you know uh shouts out to ohio state from for plucking him that's like, that's like saying uh, i can't believe Rutgers couldn't keep jonathan taylor uh, yeah. in state that was a trivia question at, at bar trivia and saquon day. Yeah, both uh, both were committed to Rutgers at one point. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's a little different. They were like at some point committed. Um, you you mentioned um, to me earlier, you know, that you, you considered the Mich- Michigan State to be a hurdle for mm-hmm. Ohio State. They got they cleared that hurdle. Wisconsin also cleared the Kent State hurdle this that, past week. We had a lot of worries. Um, don't have a lot to say about this game. Nobody really cares. Forty eight nothing. I mean, Kent State was the worst running defense in the country in in terms of average yards allowed per game, not per carry, but still. Uh, that showed through. That was early. that was coming into a game. That was coming into was, that game. Oh right. gosh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and they were gashed early by Jonathan Taylor, who had four touchdowns. Um, yeah, just kind of a kind of a cleanup game for for Wisconsin after a bit of a shaky showing, especially by Jack Cohn uh, against Northwestern. A lot of the top teams uh, were either off or had inferior opponents this this uh, past week six. Bama, Clemson, both on by Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. They all rolled over whoever they played. Um, Looking ahead, though, way, way ahead, some of the the early lines for big games are out, and I'm fully in on LSU. I think most people are fully in on LSU, given what we continue to see from this offense. Granted, against mostly inferior opponents, but you know the Texas game uh, is still there. They're currently plus 10 at Bama uh, for a game that'll take place exactly one month from now on November 9th. You know, the, this Bama team, it, it's so far removed from what what it's like champion earlier championship uh, formulas were, were like. They're all about pace, tempo, and throwing the ball. They actually have um, a, a run-pass split that, that favors the pass you know, by a few percentage points here. So they're not really pounding the rock or anything like that. And the defense hasn't been as good as we've seen in recent years either. And I think you, know, you can attribute some of that um, to the injuries that, that they've suffered across the board there. But at the same time, that defense is really going to be tested because LSU, I think, ranks second in the nation in offensive S&P right now. So that that's just kind of a holistic measure of how efficient their offense is. And yeah, they, they rank number two. The only uh, offense more efficient than theirs um, is Oklahoma's. But Oklahoma's, or I'm sorry, Alabama's offense is number three. So we could actually see and expect offensive fireworks mm-hmm. from that game, which is such a far cry from like the 13 to 11 type yeah, of game. Well, games. LSU was held scoreless against Bama last year, right? I think it's been two years in a row or something. Jeez, I mean, for it's, sake. yeah, it's it's been it's been really tough sledding for LSU, but they've been able to flip the switch. I think they brought in that um, offensive analyst from the Saints, and he's got things rolling in a way. I mean, he who could have ever expect things to or expect Joe Burrow to do the things that he's doing, where he's like a legitimate Heisman candidate right now, and like I said, running one of the best offenses in the country. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit more about Joe Burrow in a little bit when we take a closer look at that Heisman race. Uh, I want to skip over Cincinnati for now. I cannot believe what they did to us um, in terms of how that field was presented um, on social media relative Mm. to how it actually looked. But let's talk about Florida and Auburn first. 24-13, Florida wins at home uh, with a third-string quarterback, Kyle Trask. uh, Looked pretty good. I mean, numbers-wise, 19-31, 234, two touchdowns, no picks. Did fumble the ball and lose three fumbles in three consecutive possessions, um, but luckily those all came early in the game. The Florida defense stepped up, and, and honestly, they didn't really end up being all that costly. 
Um, you know, Florida went went into this this game with a 17 to 13 lead at the half. Only needed seven more points the rest of the way. Held, held excuse me, held Auburn scoreless in the second half. How surprised were you by this result? I was very surprised. I think that maybe we had over or we were a little bit over eager to crown Bo Nix as ready. Um, and and I do think that in the end, Bo Nix is going to be a you know, a program changing uh, type of quarterback for Auburn. But at the same time, if you looked at his game log, uh, even the Oregon win, uh, he had been under uh, six yards per attempt in pretty much every game other than the the undressing of Miss State. And then I think also Kent State. So um, he had actually been kind of mediocre to this point. And if the run game isn't functioning like it should, and, and they just lost to Tarvius Whitlow for looks like a month, he might not be back until the Georgia game, if not later. So that's a huge hit to how this Auburn offense is going to function. Uh, and, you know, we saw Bo Nix just kind of look like a true freshman. You know, mm-hmm. he really, he really, in a hostile environment, the swamp looked amazing. It looked like it was just absolute mayhem and chaos there. It was tough on him. I mean, like you said, only 145 yards on 11 completions through all those interceptions. And uh, when the rest of the offense can't really pick him up, that's, that was just enough. So Florida's defense, uh, credit to them. Yeah, it's a 6.6 QBR for Bo Nix in this game. And like you said, I don't think a lot of people came out of this game panicking about Bo Nix. All of a sudden, you know, he's not the player we thought he was. I, I think this was finally the game where things probably caught up to him. You know, maybe everything is different if they don't beat Oregon in week one and he doesn't have that, you know, kind of crazy slash risky throw to to really end up winning them that game and, and kind of set the course that he's been on for these last few weeks. So, um, you know, long term, probably not a big deal for Auburn, but but in the short term, you know, certainly something that uh, changes the course of this season. And like you said, I mean, the running game, they got to 124 yards as a team, but barely over three yards a carry. And, and That's you know, the Whitlow, the leading the leading rusher in this game to no longer have him, um, you know, uh, that that's going to be trouble i think for auburn down the road do, do you want to do cincinnati now I yeah think we should yeah just uh you know we don't need to go super in depth there but i mean cincinnati they kind of had the center stage on friday night against central florida and you kept expect expecting central florida to start moving the ball or start having some sort of offensive pulse but man cincinnati's defense they had some injuries earlier in the year now they're now it looks like they're healthy and they just kind of put the clamps down on dylan gabriel and company and just made Central Florida look like just a run-of-the-mill group of five teams. So uh, I still think Central Florida is a good team overall, don't get me wrong, but I do think that Cincinnati has kind of vaulted itself into you know title contention for this uh, American Athletic Conference, which has some good teams, has some ranked teams. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at Memphis, we're looking at SMU, um, among those other teams that, that are kind of in that tier. And yeah, I think you, you got to just credit Cincinnati. And it's it sounds like already Luke Fickle is going to be one of those hot potential hires uh, come this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, UCF even had a chance late in this game. They, they put a touchdown on the board to pull within three. Um, you know, they end up kicking it to Cincinnati with, uh, you know, j- just under three minutes remaining and just could not get a stop. You know, Cincinnati was able to just kind of run it right down their throat. They, you know, they had it to a fourth and in inches. Um, and if you get a stop there, you know, who knows what happens. But but Cincinnati was able to pick that up and then ice the game from there. Yes. I'm more concerned about the, the field issue, mm. the social media farce that is the Cincinnati Bearcats account. <laughs> Um, tweeting out, you know, we talked about this on the podcast. I think it, I think it was tweeted the day that we recorded last week. So I That's was right. fired up. You were fired up. Everybody was fired up that we were going to see this all black field 
we were a little bit skeptical. Uh, we expressed some concerns logistically. Were they going to, you know, buy like gallons and gallons and gallons of paint and spray this whole thing? Were they going to replace the turf? In retrospect, it, it seemed maybe a little bit too good to be true, but yeah. they they pulled the rug out from under us and really there hasn't been much accountability. No, that that's my big thing is, and they were able to do damage control in that regard by coming out with one of the greatest trash talking tweets that I've yeah. ever seen from a, from a college football program. Um, after, after the game, they did the, the sort of like Disney, uh, theme song, like when you wish upon a star. Mm-hmm. And then they had the Disney font and it just said, you hate to see it. And obviously Ugh, central Florida, um, being in Orlando, there's, there's a bit of a tie there. So it was just, uh, you know, rubbing it in their face to the nth degree yep. because we had seen Central Florida lose to Pitt earlier this year, but we hadn't seen them lose to an American athletic uh, opponent in quite some time. Right. So, oh boy, the Cincinnati's social team really uh, went out and redeemed themselves on that. Yeah, it could have, you know, had they lost this game, it could have gone very much the other way. And that, um, that tweet would have been in the chamber. It's never to be seen. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even know if you can unleash it at any other point in the season. You know, you can't do that after you beat you know, Tulane or whoever it is. No, not not with like the amount of chirping that that Central Florida's fan base tends to do. Like, yeah. there, there's no well, other. Well, when you're a two-time national title winner, this is true. This is true. You, you got those bragging rights. Yep. Uh, Michigan beat Iowa. Just an absolute shootout. You know, one of those games that you know I, I was sitting there watching it. I'm thinking like, this is a Big Twelve game. You know, the way these teams are <laughs> slinging the ball around. It's touchdown here, touchdown there. Uh, no, it was the complete opposite of that. It was one of the worst games I think I've ever watched, to be honest. Um, you know, I mean, a good, I guess a good win for Michigan, if you can call it a game where you go scoreless for the final three quarters at home, mm-hmm. uh, a good win, but a necessary win, nonetheless, a, an impressive performance, certainly by that defense to force three interceptions from Nathan Stanley, hold Iowa to one total yard rushing. Of course, that factors in sack yards, um, you know, of which Nathan Stanley had minus 65, um, yeah, they were getting them. They were getting. They after. were. They were. Uh, almost a really, really cool play at the end of this one. I don't. I don't know if you were watching at the time. Um, on a fourth down, Nathan Stanley was a, about to be sacked. I don't know how he wasn't. Had two Michigan defenders on him. Switched the ball to his left hand. Was able to get it to a running back. Um, that was brought that's down. awfully showy for for an Iowa quarterback. I, on fourth I mean, down t- too. With tone the down the, the razzle dazzle. Yeah, just take the sack. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, unable to to get the first down. Of course, and Michigan closed it out. I. Like I said, this is a necessary win. You know, obviously for Michigan, reputation-wise, um, pride-wise, for Jim Harbaugh, you know, they needed this victory. But really hard to to feel great about how it happened. Um, you know, I, I think if you're if you're the defense, maybe maybe you can say that. But the quarterback situation does not appear to be solved whatsoever. Shea Patterson has looked like he looked the last four games: fourteen of twenty-six, one forty-seven, no touchdowns, one interception. You know, they had several guys kind of get going in the ground game, you know, to a, to a minor degree. Five different guys carried the ball, but uh, not a whole lot going on there. Yeah, I think overall, you know, we see the the same old story with this Michigan offense where the talent and on paper, it looks like it should be so much better than it is. But in reality, it's a mediocre quarterback play, uh, a running game that, again, has its moments but hasn't fully gotten off the ground uh the receivers are frustrating because i don't think any of it is really their fault necessarily i mean 
Peoples Jones, uh, Bell, uh, Tariq Black, all those guys are legit high quality receivers that can be uh, huge matchup problems for opposing defenses, but they, they don't really get the quality of passes from Patterson right now. Maybe it, uh, you can attribute a bit of that to the offensive line, but I don't know how much, but overall, when you look at the, at the numbers, Michigan has like the number 47 offense in terms of S and P plus, And that's just like, not where it needs to be that seems way too high. <laughs> I, it kind of does. Right. And yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Rutgers. But yeah. um, I think that, yeah, you, I, I guess they kind of shoved it down Wisconsin's throat in the second half of that game but still you would think that um i think s&p usually accounts for like production that happens in garbage time versus you know when mm-hmm. the game when the game is like four possessions at halftime or three possessions in the third quarter that sort of thing so either way um I'm, I'm still not buying this michigan offense i think the defense is a lot better than than we could have expected you know they lost so much on that side of the ball last year between rashawn gary and chase winovich and i'm sure i'm missing a, a ton of guys from that secondary but that that hasn't really missed a beat it's just mm-hmm. the offense is plum average Devin Bush as well. That's right. Yeah, I mean, a loaded defense last season. Um, so they get a, a bye this week, and then – or no, excuse me, they play Illinois this so week. So basically. That, yeah, is that a bye game? I don't know what they're paying Illinois to <laughs> to, to host that game, but uh, should be a win in, even in Champaign, uh, even on what's going to be uh, looking increasingly like a cold and blustery day throughout the Midwest. Um, should win that game, but then at Penn State the week after, and then home against Notre Dame the week after that so so no breaks between those games you know like I said you expect them to beat Illinois but I, I don't see how right now even though Michigan is ranked 16 even though they they only have one loss it feels like they've lost like four games but but the record says otherwise I don't know how you could feel good about them you know going into that Penn State game and, and certainly not that Notre Dame game no it, and it'll be interesting to see what Penn State's able to do this weekend out out uh, in Iowa City but if they go into that game against Michigan undefeated and I think they're, they'll be home for that one man Penn State's going to be really fired That's up. It's a night and, game too, confirmed oh, already. So that, yeah, it could look a lot like the um, the whiteout game that they had a couple years ago against Michigan, where they mm-hmm. just absolutely took them to the cleaners. Yeah. I, I think that that type of outcome is definitely like within the realm of possibility here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to close the book on Michigan, you know, Shea Patterson has kind of been the scapegoat in a lot of ways other than Jim Harbaugh. And, and I think that's fair. Um, you know, we keep kind of waiting for him to wake up, you know, based on what we saw at times last year, what we saw from him at Old Miss, his pedigree. Mm-hmm. At, at some point, we just have to accept that maybe this is just what Shea Patterson is. You know, we, he hasn't looked great even against the inferior opponents. Um, and when the defenses have been better, you know, like like Wisconsin and like Iowa, it's kind of been a disaster. And I, and I think at some point, we, we just have to accept that. Let's move to the Pac-12. I have no idea what to make of the Pac-12, which is, you know, not really surprising. I guess if you told me this is what I would be saying after six weeks, I would say that seems about right. But the the rotation of teams looking terrible one week and then beating a superior opponent the next week and then falling flat on their face the week after that. I mean, Stanford looked completely dead in the water. They oh, yeah. were they were almost doubled up by by UCF less than a month ago. They they lose a respectable game, I guess, at home against a good Oregon team. They squeak by Oregon State and then you know win pretty convincingly at home against Washington on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know. And Chris Peterson had some pretty. Uh 
not inspire inspiring quotes if you're a Washington fan about just kind of getting out coached in that game and you don't really want to want to hear that as like a you know you get like oh we were out coached today when you when you're leaving the field but mm-hmm. a few days out it's like yeah we looked at the tape and holy crap I just got dunked on <laughs> for four quarters by David Shaw I mean worse things have happened of course right. but yeah we were we were right in the obituary for Stanford they really did look that bad and and the numbers were really disproportionate compared to recent years in terms of their their passing defense being particularly suspect. You would have figured that Jacob Eason uh, and and Aaron Fuller and Hunter Bryan and all these other guys were going to be able to get it going against the Stanford defense. And it just didn't really happen. And yeah, Stanford had it schemed up, had it dialed up. So now Washington, you got to figure is, you know, this is two losses within the division for them. So they're pretty much out as far as making the Pac-12 championship goes, especially if Oregon uh, continues to roll on. So um, I think above all else, Oregon remains like the last hope uh, here for the Pac-12. And otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just maybe hope that it doesn't completely embarrass itself the rest of the way. But I mean, Washington, I don't I don't know what to make of that. That's that's terrible. They are probably the biggest enigma of the respectable Mm -hmm. teams from that conference to me. Yeah. So Washington falls completely out uh, of the updated top 25, at least in the AP poll this week. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about just how far Oregon would be able to climb, you know, given that that week one loss to Auburn. Um, they're they're going to need so much help just based on the fact that right now we have, you know, eight undefeated teams at the top and then, you know, another at number 10 in Penn State. Um, and of course, you know, those teams will, will end up beating each other up to some degree. But, um, you know, for Oregon in this conference, you know, the, the lack of potential quality wins left on the schedule, I think, could end up hurting them. Yeah. Do you think Auburn losing this past week, you know, not that they were going to run the table, but does that hurt Oregon at all? You know, does that diminish at all the the week one loss it depends on what oregon is able to or i'm sorry what auburn's able to do the rest of the way but if that's a sign of things to come from auburn you know dropping a game against um lsu if if it comes to them dropping a game against alabama which is definitely possible losing a game to georgia like it's possible an an 11 win auburn team or if they go 10 and 2 then i don't think that you Mm -hmm. you really count that loss too hard against oregon what happened so early too that you know those 10 those blemishes tend to fade away you know a week one loss versus a week eight loss yeah people yeah people understand that and the neutral side new season type of stuff so yeah i think that does get kind of baked into the discussion here but yeah, if Auburn, if we're looking at an eight and four Auburn team that Oregon lost to, then I think that's a, that's a different mm-hmm. story that that ends up kind of counting against them a little bit. So to put a bow on week six, the the final, I guess, pretty surprising uh, outcome, despite this game being in Lubbock, um, you know, at, at the time a two win Texas Tech team taking down what was then a four and one Oklahoma State team, forty five thirty five. Uh, this this felt like more of a genuine Big 12 game, kind of the type of shootout, maybe not even as high scoring as we expected. I think 35 for this Oklahoma State offense against Texas Tech is probably a little bit lower uh, than you'd expect. But Jet Duffy, uh, one of the more Big 12 names in history, goes 26 of 44, up over 420 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, just a clean game, uh, really, from Texas Tech. And which, he, he was cheap on DraftKings, too. So if you, if you did put him in your lineup. Did you? Yep. So mm-hmm. I, I had I had some Jet Duffy, Sean Clifford lineups that made me proud. Big Duffy exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, Spencer Sanders, you know, not not a bad game, I guess. You know, it's just kind of the nature of this offense and, and having to come back in the second half. But he threw three picks, didn't even get to 300 yards, did have two touchdowns. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, you know, another big game for him. Right. But needed 34 carries to get to 156 yards, though he did get in the end zone three times. Yeah, so I think that this is – 
this game kind of provides a, a glimpse of what the ceiling I get, looks like for Oklahoma State. It it's going to go as far as Spencer Sanders can take them, and you know when teams are able to load the box against Chuba Hubbard, which seems to be the recipe at least right now on how to uh, beat them, um, then that's just going to be a limiting factor for this Oklahoma State offense. We need to see Spencer Sanders kind of evolve more as a passer, and he was billed as a great passer. I think he was like the Gatorade um, Player of the Year, I think in Texas um, when he was a senior in high school. Um, so there's a lot of reason to believe that he can develop into a passer, and this offense can make great passers out of you know kind of average talent. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for that to happen here, but. In, until it does, teams will be able to kind of cheat up against Hubbard and, you know, cause Oklahoma State's offense to kind of revert to a form that, or not even revert, but morph into a form that's kind of unfamiliar, one that, that's a little bit too run heavy and not as up-tempo as you'd like mm. to see. You want to talk some DFS for Week 7? I sure would. All right. Well, we will start, as always, at the quarterback position, uh, looking at the main slate, uh, 12 games on that slate on DraftKings. Jalen Hurts, not surprisingly, sits atop of the quarterbacks. He's at $9,000 going up uh, against a very shaky uh, Texas secondary that is uh, ranked very low uh, against quarterbacks. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, just below Hurts at 8,600. Then you have Ellinger at 8,400. Uh, Gordon at Washington State at 8,200. And then Brock Purdy rounds out the top five at 8,000. How do you feel about Jalen Hurts? We'll start with him. Um, I think Hurts is someone that you want to lead off your lineups with. I think last week when we saw the the top two between Hertz and Burrow, for some reason, even though Burrow was going up against a theoretically lesser opponent in Utah State, you still kind of felt like this wasn't going to be maximum Hertz against Kansas. And then there was the weather delay uh, before that game started. So uh, for as good as Hertz did on a per play basis, you still felt like that wasn't going to be the monster game this week going up against Texas. Um, Again, a team that, like you mentioned, gives up 325 passing yards per game. Got stung by Burrow earlier this year. Hurts, you got to figure, is is just as good as a passer as him right now, and has the weapons around him. And he, you know, he's I think Oklahoma's leading rusher on top of it. So that adds another dynamic that's going to be really tough for Texas to deal with. Um, this is going to be a really fun game. I don't know if you saw the the really. Uh, interesting take from some Texas account earlier this oh boy, week saying that uh, Jalen Hurts, who has played in several uh, SEC championship and uh, national title games, uh, Iron Bowls as well, and Iron Bowls, um, so arguably the the biggest r- rivalry game in college football, at least in the last like ten years or so. Uh, this this game against uh, Texas too big for him apparently, so they said. Well, he's never they, they got laughed off of Twitter. So, so yeah, I did that that tweet. Um, I wouldn't even say it got ratioed. It got like quote tweet ratioed. Like if it kept popping up like once an hour, I would see like three people just go off on it. (laughs) And I mean, I don't, it was just so unnecessarily malicious um, to, to, I mean, to imply that the Iron Bowl is just like that much inferior than the Red River rivalry. I mean, if you want to, if you want to say they're equal, like I'll, I'll give you that, I guess. I mean, I would, I think most people given how the SEC has performed over the last decade and a half versus the big 12 would probably lean the other way. But Um, what an insane take. I mean, can you believe he would say that? I, it was just one of those ones where it's like, I mean, if you're going for clicks, you got them. Yeah, uh, big but, time. <laughs> but, you know, if you were serious at all, then, yep. um, you know, I think you need to uh, reassess some things. But yeah, mm-hmm. bottom, bottom line here, Hertz is that number one play uh, for, for this weekend. It's going to be a really big performance from him going up against Texas. I think that Tua at 8,600 is also very appealing. Um, you know, again, we have an Alabama offense that 
it skews a little bit more towards the pass than than it does against the run. A&M, of course, has a pretty good defense across the board, and they will be at home. Um, I think uh, one of the one of the Alabama receivers, I forget if it's Ruggs or Waddle that's from um, or Devonta Smith or, or Waddle, it's from t- the Texas, like Houston area. They they were giving some credit to this A and M twelfth man earlier this week, so it'll be a loud and crazy environment for sure. But two is not afraid of that either. And you know, four th- or four hundred dollars less than Hertz. You know, he's a totally fine play as well. And you figure that the three hundred yard bonus is in play for him. I think that we could see four touchdowns uh, from Tua. I think we could start to also see a, a point for this A&M team where, you know, we're into year two. They came in with really high expectations. They're sitting at three and three after a, a big loss to Alabama, potentially. Do we feel like they've made any progress under Jimbo? You know, it's a tough question. I, I saw that on the document. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I guess. I mean, if they'll be three and three, like you said, if, if they do lose this game, I, I think the expectation is that they lose this game. They're 17 point dogs uh, against a, a juggernaut of an offense. To me, though, the, the two losses, you know, that they've suffered thus far are to Clemson and Auburn, mm-hmm. two very, very good teams, two teams that are at the very least on par with A&M, if, if not better in Clemson's case, talent wise. Um, and, you know, I, th- I would say that this is arguably the biggest test of them all. So, you know, taken in aggregate for, for them to go 0-3 in these games is a disappointment. But individually, I don't know if you could realistically say, man, they really should have beat Clemson or they really should have beat Auburn. And, you know, maybe they'll go and beat Alabama, but I don't think many people will be saying they should win this game. So it's tough. You know, I, I think ideally you want to go at least 1-2 and two in that stretch, um, especially considering you have the third-ranked team in Georgia and the fifth-ranked team in LSU still remaining on your schedule. And there's a very real chance they go 0-5 in those games but like I said I think you have to look at it on a more micro level and you know game by game they really shouldn't be winning and, and I guess to to kind of you know bring yourself up a tier I guess for lack of a better term in, in college football to to kind of jump from the Kevin Sumlin era into you know this kind of perennial top eight top ten that they want to get to you have to start winning these games but you know it's really really difficult the the schedule that they're facing yeah I mean that no one is arguing that the schedule is anything less than probably the toughest in the, in the nation. It's just yep. a, a thing. The, the thing is, if you want to, you know, measure your progress, you can't go, like you said, 0 and 5. And and I think mm-hmm. you, you looked at it in a very reasonable way, looking at it. It's like on a game by game basis, there's none of those that you thought were obvious wins. But at a certain point in a program, if you're really having title aspirations, you yep. you kind of need to. So what it's, it's tough to have those high expectations, but I mean, it, and expect them to to come through but at the same time like if it if it continues to go on this trajectory here maybe kevin it's like kellen mon's not the guy potentially but yeah. it's hard Trade to know kellen Mond. <laughs> yeah to the to the portal he goes but um yeah it's been a strange run here for a&m and you know again we're, we're gonna see them kind of get mm-hmm. another reality check here from another upper echelon team here potentially um but back to dfs um a game with markedly or you know maybe slightly less high stakes here uh duke and georgia tech i really like quentin harris once again 7800 uh kind of got beat up by pitt a week ago but pitt is actually like pretty good defensively so you can't uh go too hard on harris for that georgia tech on the other hand uh not as big of a challenge they've been 
really soft, especially against the run uh, this year. I think they give up like 245 rushing yards per game and over five yards per carry. So um, they're really susceptible against the run. They're, they're pretty, they're okay against the pass, all things considered. But um, I still think that uh, Quentin Harris, with the way that he runs the football, ran for a couple of touchdowns last weekend. Uh, I think there's a bounce back opportunity here at 7,800. Yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech's a team that lost to the Citadel and then scored two points against Temple the next week. So that's, <laughs> that is all the analysis that I'm going to offer. That's all you need. Um, do you want to run through just a couple, you know, three or four other quarterbacks, you know, kind of below this elite tier that you might consider? Yes. Um, so we got Trevor Lawrence at 7,200. Not elite. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Um, what has he done? Um, but, you know, we've seen him this year kind of fall short of expectations, at least to this point. But Man, uh, if not now, when? I mean, we're talking about a Florida State defense that gives up over 300 passing yards uh, per game. They're at home. Clemson is. They're almost four touchdown favorites against a real live conference opponent. So that, that goes to show you how this game should turn out. I think that there's a good chance that, that Lawrence ends up returning value. I'm not going to go heavy on him in my lineups, but I think I will um, kick the tires on at least one or two Lawrence shares just so uh, in the event that he wakes back up, I'm not completely missing out. Um, I think Jake Fromm at 6,900 against South Carolina. South Carolina giving up a, a two passing touchdowns per game. I think that a lot of people, they liked from as like a tournament play last weekend going up against Tennessee because there were some more like exciting quarterbacks um, and from ended up doing well. Uh, 6,900 is not cost prohibitive whatsoever. I don't think that South Carolina is all that good. From will be at home. Georgia's only allowed one sack this year. So you d- you're not super uh, worried about this South Carolina offensive or defensive line rattling him necessarily. Um, and I think that those receivers continue to come on strong, whether it's Lawrence Cager, whether it's George Pickens, both of those guys, and then, you know, easy yardage in the passing game, dumping it off to DeAndre Swift and just letting him create. So uh, I do like Fromm a fair bit at 6,900. Uh, Jet Duffy, who we mentioned a minute ago, um, 6,600. Maybe the trap of the week, maybe the steal of the week, because people are going to want to chase that that 45-point fantasy performance from a week ago that, that was awesome. Baylor quietly has a really good defense though I mean especially by big 12 standards I don't know how Matt Rule has done it but he's he's kind of reversed the course of this Baylor program uh, they rank 31st in S&P plus on the defensive side of the ball uh, Texas Tech also has a relatively low implied total I think it's under 25 so you you'll want to consider that um, he's going to need to need to run the ball a fair bit I think for him to hit value at 6600 so just a word of caution on Duffy for this week and then uh your punt play super flex um, would be Tyrell Pigrome of Maryland. He's 5,400. Um, he can run around a little bit. Josh Jackson d- dealing with the high ankle sprain, probably not going to play this week. Um, Maryland has already announced Pigrome as a starter. And more than anything, I just think that Purdue stinks, and especially on defense. And Pigrome has enough playing experience. I mean, he before he tore his ACL in 2017, he was leading Maryland's charge against Texas in the game that they won. So um, a little throwback there for you to give you a glimpse of, really of what, remember that what game. he can yeah. do yeah I, the yeah. game <laughs> that game and the one after was also just mm-hmm. phenomenal um but yeah pogrom he can run around a little bit and again he gives you a ton of flexibility if you can get a legit performance out of him like if you're looking at 20 fantasy points out of pogrom and i think that's in the realm of possibility mm-hmm. 40 yards on the ground and a touchdown plus 10 points of production via the passing game i think that that that's going to end up working out really well Looking at the running back position, uh, no surprise who sits at the top this week, Jonathan Taylor, averaging nearly 42 DraftKings points 
per game. That is a lot. No one else is really even close on this slate. Uh, Cam Akers is the second highest price. He's at seventy seven hundred. Taylor sits eleven hundred dollars more expensive at eighty eight hundred. How concerned are you uh, about Taylor's combination of you know being this you know this higher priced I guess than than anyone else on the board? And you know as we talked about Michigan State's ability even if they're not going to win a game, even if they're going to lose by three plus scores like they did last week, um, you know, maybe they can at least kind of slow you down. You know, they're, they're going to, they're going to have possession. They're not just going to, you know, be slinging it all over and be going three and out and kicking you the ball. Is there some concern there? Um, I think on paper there should be, but you look at the box score last week and Ohio state, you know, relied heavily on the ground game, 49 carries as a team. They got to 323 yards, oh, wow. which, which implies, you know, and, and I think that really, that brings down, you know, where, where Michigan state's defense ranks, you know, outside of the top 100 now against the rush after that game. Um, but what Wisconsin doesn't have is a quarterback who runs a four five and can beat you in the same ways that Justin Fields can. And we've seen Jack Cohn look really good for four out of five games so far. Uh, we've seen him look pretty shaky against Northwestern. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's not the rushing threat that a Justin Fields is. Um, and really, he's not the passer that a Justin Fields is uh, at this point. So, you know, is there the belief that maybe Michigan State just sells out to stop Jonathan Taylor and tries to make Jack Cohn beat them in this game? Yeah, it's a really interesting thought process here because, you know, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Michigan game, the, the fact of them or the feeling that we had was that Taylor, he's the most expensive guy and it's a, it's a tough defense. So it, it like most expensive to the point of him being a little bit cost prohibitive with what, what you can do with the rest of your lineup that maybe tournament or maybe Taylor is a good tournament play. And he ended up being an amazing tournament play despite even missing a quarter of that game. My concern here is that the, we're going to see, I mean, we have such a low implied total in this game. We, we got what a 38 and a half, over under here we have uh, the number two defense in in S&P plus in Michigan State going against the number one defense in S&P plus in Wisconsin I just think that there's not going to be a ton of points on the board so I think while it's going to be on a per carry basis maybe Taylor doesn't get shut down maybe he goes for you know 20 carries over 100 yards I could totally see those things happening but if the if he only goes for one touchdown then mm-hmm. that's going to be hard for him to hit that value given the price point there so I again I'm not in endorsing a full fade of Taylor whatsoever, but I think I'm going to limit my exposure to maybe one, maybe two Taylor lineups. And may, maybe after this and he goes off, I'll, I'll learn my lesson finally. But um, I think that this Michigan State defense could be a little bit tougher or this sets up a little bit tougher mm-hmm. for, for uh, Taylor than maybe the Michigan one did. The Michigan game's a good parallel. Um, like you said, we felt almost the exact same way going into that game. What we didn't realize is how well Jack Cohn would play and kind of open things up like he did for Jonathan Taylor. So, it, I mean, again, it's, it sounds almost cliche, but if Jack Cohn is able to move the ball through the air and be a threat and make Michigan State respect that part of the offense, right. then I think Jonathan Taylor could, could easily replicate what he did against Michigan. You know, I don't, I don't think the game will be that big of a blowout, but those type of numbers, um, I mean, he's proven he can do that week in and week out. So we'll see. I mean, I, you know, most running backs, even guys who are on a Heisman type of finalist trajectory, usually have one or two slip ups, you know, last year it was Northwestern for Taylor. I think he had 11 carries and like 45 yards. It's going to happen at some point. Um, you know, maybe not a game that that's that low, but like you said, you know, I, I don't see this being a, you know, 19 carry, 202 yards and four touchdowns type of game where he's just ripping off 46 yarders all over the place um you know i I think they're going to work him i think he's going to have a ton of carries but i I don't expect to have the 
kind of explosive long touchdown runs that we've yeah. seen against some of these inferior opponents. Uh, you know, Benjamin, a little bit of appeal going up against Washington State. Yeah, I do like him a fair bit. This is such a fun, weird game. I mean, Washington State and Arizona State just polar opposites as to how those programs are run. But uh, when you look at that Washington State defense, it's really not that impressive, especially against the run. Um, I think that we're, we're looking at a situation where Arizona State probably wants to ride with Benjamin as much as they can to, to limit the exposure to uh, for Jaden Daniels. And we also have a situation here where over the bye week, um, Washington State's defensive coordinator stepped away. Mm. Um, so that uh, usually is a good thing, right? Yeah, that always bodes. He was doing so well, well that he wanted to quit on top. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that Washington State giving up almost 200 yards on the ground, almost or over four and a half carries of non-sack adjusted uh, yards yards per carry there. So I think that the you know the door is open for for your Eno Benjamin here at 7500 to get it going. I'd prefer him over you know say a Cam Akers at 7700. I think that we're going to see Akers ownership be really low to the point. Where where maybe he has a little bit of tournament appeal there, but I'm not going heavily after Taylor or Wakers and feeling particularly good about it. I know that Clemson's run defense isn't as good as it's been in years past, obviously, but I believe Clemson is coming off a bye, and they, they know that if they stop Akers, then Florida State just kind of falls apart. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'd be worried about rostering or overexposing uh, myself to Akers for this week. I, I'd much prefer that Benjamin at 7,500 play. Looking just a bit further down the board, you have Kylan Hill at Mississippi State. He goes up against that fantastic Tennessee team. Mm. Uh, and then DeAndre Swift gets a home matchup against South Carolina, uh, 73 and 7,200 respectively. Um, so you can kind of take your pick between these two guys. Yes, I think that the the fact that we see um, a less of a threat behind Kylan Hill than we do with DeAndre Swift, where Georgia has seemingly felt very comfortable with not overworking Swift, going with Brian Harry, and in certain situations, using Zamir White late in games to kind of ice things, uh, and even using James Cook a little bit, even though his usage has been uh, the, much to the discussion of a lot of Georgia fans there. They, they want to see more James Cook out there. But um, I don't think that Swift gets the same workload um, that, that Kylan Hill will. And for $100 more, I think that that's the worthy play, especially going up against Tennessee's defense that uh, I don't think that either Tennessee or South Carolina have good defenses, but I, I'm more certain of it when it comes to Tennessee. So I like the Hill play a little bit more for, between those two. Um, and I'd also like to caution a little bit when it comes to Trey Sermon. I liked him a lot last week, and he ended up uh, hitting value pretty nicely, especially with Kennedy Brooks being out. Um, if Kennedy Brooks is back, which is very possible that you know they might have wanted to save him for this game against Texas and not risk him in, in a weird uh, weather environment up against Kansas and just kind of let Sermon do his thing. Um, so if that is the case, then the, we see Sermon's workload uh, drop back down to that frustrating level to where it's really hard to trust him, especially um, in cash games. So I'm a little bit leery of Sermon. I think if you hit it last week, um, congrats. But I, I think that I would probably jump off that train uh, for this week against Texas. I'd prefer a play like Deion Jackson of Duke going up against Georgia Tech. He's really active in, in the passing game. Again, Georgia Tech's rush defense is absolutely putrid. And you know, if you don't trust uh, Quentin Harris being able to get it going through the air the way that he did 
a few weeks ago against Virginia Tech, then you figure Deion Jackson, he has very little competition behind him for carries and in just 5,400 with the work he can do in the passing game on top of it. I think he's gone over uh, 40 receiving yards each of the last two weeks. I love Deion Jackson as a play at 5,400. And then uh, as a punt play, I'd the aforementioned Zamir White, 3,900. I think one of these days he's going to be a slate changer. Um, he's so, so talented. Obviously, he's had a couple of catastrophic knee injuries over the last couple of years, but he's healthy now. He's looking for contact against Tennessee and averaged over eight yards a carry. So if you if you need something under 4K in your flex spot, Zamir White is something that I would strongly consider. Let's look at the wide receiver position. And again, uh, a familiar face at the top of the list. It is Jerry Judy been a little bit quieter these last couple of weeks I mean obviously was incredible to begin the year um, and they've they've kind of spread the ball around to that that super talented receiving core these last few weeks but you know as we talked about at the top I mean Tua has been on fire he's been on a a hotter pace to start this year than he was even last season when he went the first eight games of the year without an interception. Um, I mean, this this Alabama offense, you, know, you can you can maybe quibble a little bit about the defense and all the injuries, but the offense has looked incredible. Uh, any interest in paying up for Judy uh, against a And M? You know, it depends on how the rest of my lineup looks, but I think this could actually be a buying opportunity for Judy. It does feel like, especially in stark contrast to where Devontae Smith last time out, five receiving touchdowns against Ole Miss, uh, you know, I think that there is going to be some people that, that just kind of gravitate towards that, and understandably so. And Smith obviously sees over seven targets per game and 14 and a half mm-hmm. yards per target. So, he, I mean, he's definitely a good play and everything. But, you know, I think may, people might forget Judy a little bit. This here is this week, the cheapest so. you're getting him yeah, by far this definitely. year, too. $500 cheaper than he's been at any point. Uh, prior to this yeah and you know he again he's been awesome too it's just mm-hmm. a, the the fact that you know Smith and Ruggs have kind of like had those games individually where they just sort of took over maybe we see Judy do that this mm-hmm. week um, another star receiving tandem T Higgins future Jaguar and Justin Ross also a future Jaguar they're at 63 and 5900 respectively against uh, not the best Florida State defense, uh, to put it nicely. Myron Roll is not not uh, roaming the middle of the field anymore. No, he's you know saving someone's life in an operating. He's room doing or something, something much less cool. Yes, um, <laughs> nerd. Any interest in these two at, at a little bit of a discount than you'd be getting for these Alabama guys? Uh, definitely, especially if you have a, a Lawrence in in your lineup. Um, so maybe maybe pairing Lawrence with either Ross or Higgins. It feels like Higgins is a little bit the more trustworthy guy. I mean, outside of the 16-target game that, that Ross had against A&M, it seems like his role has fallen off slightly, uh, whereas Higgins has increased. And one of the more shocking numbers that, I, that I've seen all season is Justin Ross averaging under six yards a target. Like, that just doesn't add up. So maybe there's some positive regression coming here. But <sighs> Makes t- me sick. It's <laughs> just awful here, bud. Um, but Higgins over 15 yards per target. So he's just been ridiculous and I know that that Ross kind of gets a lot of the fanfare because of what he was able to do against uh, Notre Dame and Alabama uh, last year in the playoffs but man Higgins is awesome and I I don't think he gets enough respect here so if this Clemson passing game bounces back I expect it to be more so uh, benefiting Higgins so I'll probably Mm -hmm. go more Higgins shares than Ross shares but Ross isn't going to stay under six yards of target for the whole season either Mm -hmm. so that at least think about that as well. 
you got Pickens and Cager at 5,100 each for Georgia going up against South Carolina. Uh, both of those guys been productive, kind of tough to choose between one or the other, and, and obviously that's reflected in the price. And then you have TJ Simmons at West Virginia. He's also at 5,100 going up against Iowa State. Um, talk about those three guys before we start getting into some more of the bargain bin options. Yeah, so when it comes to um, when it comes to Pickens and um, and Lawrence Cager, they both have kind of established themselves as the leading guys in the in this Georgia offense. And Pickens, obviously, the freshman, uh, Cager, the the graduate transfer from Miami, both uh, are over 11 yards per target, and they they are tied for the uh, team lead and target share. So a lot to like there, and you know that they're both going to be seeing some looks when it comes to Simmons. Um, he's been seeing just six targets per game, so that's not not great for a full PPR. But uh, the leading receiver, Sam James, is a bit dinged up. We don't know if he's going to play for sure. Um, so if if he is out, then Simmons b- steps into that number one role, which could be upwards of ten targets, and he's been the more efficient player. So I think Simmons is someone to to keep an eye on. It, it's one of those like injury domino type of plays, but if that does pan out, then I, I think that Simmons w- would be worth a look going up against uh, Iowa State. All right, so who are these guys? Let's go sub like forty eight hundred, sub five thousand, even uh, that that you're looking at at the receiver spot. Um, Renard Bell is someone that that's kind of catching my eye a little bit here. He's forty five hundred. He's he's a slot receiver for Washington State. If Brandon uh, Arcanado is out for this this upcoming game, he did miss the Utah game, but has had a bye week to recover. So we'll have to keep an eye on what that status looks like. But Renard Bell, nine targets uh, last time out, 17 total targets in his last two games. That's just so money when it comes to DraftKings and, and you know the full PPR scoring. So keep that in mind. If you're going after a Washington State receiver, he's a cheap way of getting exposure there. I don't know how much Washington State I'm going to have just because Arizona State's pretty tough defensively, and I think this one's going to be on the road. On the other side of that game, Kyle Williams, uh, 4,900 going up against Washington State. Uh, just a 21% target share. He's more valuable on on a PPR site like DraftKings than, than FanDuel. He's you know not an explosive guy like Brandon Ayuk is, but you don't have to pay a particularly pretty penny to get him. Again, just 4,900. Um, and then Jaden Hazelwood is someone that, I, that I'll continue to bring up. He's third on the team um, in target share for Oklahoma 12 yards per target is just another cheap way of getting exposure to you know someone who could have their breakout game this week against Texas because we do we both feel like OU is gonna gonna light up that secondary and Hazelwood it has that level of talent to, to make account all right so before we dig a little deeper into the Heisman race that was for DraftKings uh, that's what we've been focusing on for the bulk of this season uh, any changes if you're looking at the FanDuel main slate as opposed to DraftKings? Um, you know, the, there's a couple of games that, that are added on to the the FanDuel slate that are worth mentioning here. Uh, you get exposure to the Wake-Louisville game. I think both sides of that should provide plenty of offensive firepower, whether it's Jamie Newman, Sage Surratt, um, Scotty Washington on the Wake Forest side, and Tutu Atwell, of course, of Louisville. And we saw Desmond Fitzpatrick have a breakout game last week. Um, both the defenses are pretty bad. Both the offense is pretty up-tempo. So that would be one to target for FanDuel. Um, the Houston-Cincinnati game, I just want to get across that Houston's defense is really, really bad. And that, that team is just feels a little bit 
uh, rudderless at this point. So I think Cincinnati um, could take advantage of that. I, I would really like Mike Warren, uh, the running back. He's expensive. He's, he's 9,200, but I like him a lot. And then there's going to be a defensive battle between Memphis and Temple. Um, both of those teams rank in the top 15 in defensive S&P. So I would be leery of using uh, too many skill position guys, particularly expensive skill position guys in that one. I know that like Patrick Taylor from Memphis could be coming back this week. High expectations for him coming into the season has been injured for most of it. Even if he comes back, I don't think that this is a great spot for him going up against Temple. So that, those were kind of like my my like add-ons uh, from the FanDuel slate. All right, let's talk about the Heisman race. Um, you may have heard about it. Heisman Trophy, fairly big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the current odds have Tua Tagovailoa as the favorite. He's at plus 140. Jalen Hurts, plus 430. Joe Burrow, not far behind at plus 500. Justin Fields, 850. Jonathan Taylor, 950. And then it drops off a bit. You get Jake Fromm at plus 2200. DeAndre Swift at plus 4600. J.K. Dobbins at 4600. Ellinger at 4900. And then Trevor Lawrence at plus 5000, which... I I mean, I I think Burrow's rise is probably the most surprising out of all these names that I just listed. The fact that he's third and you know pretty close behind Jalen Hurts, but the fact that Trevor Lawrence is basically out of it already. You know, there there have not been too many guys who are this far out of the picture, basically midway through the season, um, who are able to put together the type of run necessary to to work their way, you know, even into the top three or four. Um, and then you start talking about the lead that a guy like Tua or Hurts or Burrow, you know, just how crazy good they've been even even relative to like other Heisman winners you know how efficient the the touchdown numbers um I mean are we are we officially able to just rule Trevor Lawrence out of this I think so man I mean the like with how good uh the top three have looked particularly I mean Tua has been every bit as good as he was a year ago like you mentioned Joe Burrow's ascent has been unreal and Jalen Hurts uh you know has this Oklahoma offense looking as good as it ever has and he's just looks so dominant so comfortable in that attack so yeah I mean Lawrence has probably too much ground to make up and his numbers have been kind of mediocre are you allowed to say that to, to this point I mean eight touchdowns against they have been five mediocre <laughs> yeah eight eight touchdowns five picks uh, he's run for four scores but um it just hasn't been all that impressive from him and I know that there there's some like rivals uh message board chatter that he's been dealing with the right shoulder bruise of some sort I don't know the validity of the of this one way or the other but uh if that fully explains why he's been so you know, average compared to a year ago, then, then maybe that's something. But I think either way, uh, if you, if you had your Trevor Lawrence Heisman ticket, it's probably mm-hmm. worthless at this point, especially from, from earlier from like over the summer, like yeah. that, there's no way. Well, I know when we, when we did our first or second episode, you know, back in August or September, we talked about that, that prop that was being offered of Tua or Lawrence versus the field. And weirdly, that's still in pretty good shape because, you know, Tua has, has played so well, but that seemed like almost a lock back then, you know, I mean, it, it seemed like it was almost certainly going to be one of those two guys. Like we were, Joe Burrow would have been a joke to mention oh, in yeah. this conversation. Hertz at that point was all, you know, theoretical. It was, you know, he, he should be great in this offense, but we hadn't seen it. And, you know, he wasn't quite, you know, the scrambler type that, that Baker Mayfield or, or certainly Kyler Murray were that, that really succeeded. And we've kind of seen him take his more power run attack uh, to Oklahoma and, and, and have as much success, if not more than some of those other guys have. Um, so right now, how would you rank your, your top four? Um, I think I'm still Team Tua for right now. I think that he, and until he slips up, and we don't even know if that's going to happen, I just feel like he is the most automatic and, and best 
uh, overall player in college football. Mm. So I, I would still lean with Tua right now. Uh, Hertz is a, is a second place one. I think that he just has that Oklahoma offense ro- rolling in such a way, being the the team's obviously lead, leading passer, but also leading that rushing ta- attack on top of that. Even when Oklahoma has has good running backs to use, he just happens to be better as a runner than than even mm-hmm. those guys are. So, just adding so much value to that Oklahoma team, it, it just has has me uh, thinking that Hertz probably is my second right now. Uh, Joe Burrow would be third for me. Uh, the the rise has been astounding. That this LSU offense, like like I mentioned, number two in the nation in, in S and P. It's just insane. Uh, nobody could have seen this coming. Really, like you said, it probably would have laughed if if you saw him on the board over the summer. And then Jonathan Taylor, undoubtedly the best running back in college football. And you know, I think that uh, two and or I'm sorry, three and four are pretty interchangeable to me. Whether it's Taylor mm-hmm. or Burrow, but. Um, I feel like uh, Hertz and Tua are are like a strong one too right now, and then there's a slight divide there. Yep, yep. I I mean I'm not gonna fight you on any of that. I think that's I think that's the top four right now, especially with Justin Fields not having a spectacular game against Michigan State. You know, had he gone for six touchdowns in that game, maybe I'd be tempted to throw him in there over Taylor, who's who's been awesome, but. It, it just doesn't feel like a year that a running back's going to win it, sadly, um, for me personally. I, I think you have three quarterbacks that even if one or two of these guys falls off, which seems unlikely, you know, the chances that all three of them, you know, go in the tank or their team loses two games down the stretch, like it just doesn't seem possible. And yeah. that's what Ch- Jonathan Taylor is going to need uh, to really, you know, he's going to be a finalist. I think, you know, he's, he's just he's maybe the guy who you're least worried about of these guys, um, just because, like you said, there's the gap between him and the next best running back in the country is, is pretty large. And oh, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it's just kind of luck in some ways that as great as DeAndre Swift is, like his numbers just aren't going to look like, like Jonathan Taylor's are based on the way that Wisconsin relies on him. Um, but he, he has so much ground to make up because those other three guys have been absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, and the numbers bear it out. You know, a lot of times you have, you know, best, best quarterback on the best team or best player on the best team, you know, kind of gets an, an auto uh, bid for the Heisman, but Hertz, Tua, Burrow, one, two, three in the country in passer rating. Burrow leads the nation in completion percentage. He's second in yards. Uh, after this week, he will likely have more yards than Danny Etling had in all of the 2016 season. Oh he's my. already seventh on LSU's all-time passing list in 18 games. He's um he's six touchdowns away from their single season record <laughs> that that's held by so that of, by that, Matty Mock and Jamarcus Russell. Really? Yes. Ryan Perilou did not hold that record? Nope, nope. Huh. Never cracked that, that magical 28 threshold that, that has been the glass ceiling mm-hmm. over Baton Rouge for, for many moons now. And, <laughs> what if, and we're ready to see him smash it. <laughs> what if I told you I had even more cherry pick stats to Please give do. you? Please do. I love this. So Hertz, Tua, and Burrow are also 1-2-3 in yards per attempt in that order. Tua has 23 touchdowns and zero picks. Joe Burrow has 22 touchdowns and three picks. Last year, Tua won his first eight games without an interception but he only had 25 touchdowns in that span he's so he's on pace to completely shatter last year's overall production and honestly at this point I would almost rather he try to go a full season without throwing an interception even if it turns into like an Aaron Rodgers situation where he's like blatantly ignoring one-on-one situations or 50-50 balls and just throwing the ball away like yeah he's even if he plays super conservatively he could conceivably have like a 47 touchdown zero interception season can you god imagine it's what not that gonna would happen look but it, like. very, it could happen <laughs> i mean it really i mean you can't put anything past him 
Plus, the, the receivers that he plays with are just so right. insane. Like, the talent advantage he has is just, ugh. I mean, to do this two years in a row, though, like, it, last year it seemed for a while like there was a real shot he was going to go the whole year, you know, without a pick. And he's doing, doing it, but at, like, a 40% better clip than he was the year before. Um, yeah, and, and again, showing no signs of slowing down. I mean, we watch college football and the NFL every Saturday and Sunday. And regardless of the caliber of quarterback, you see freak interceptions all the time. You see a ball that's tipped at the line that hits off of a helmet and then hits a shoulder pad like to not even have one of those uh thus far is is incredibly impressive yeah it really is i mean it shows like the the command and confidence like he just mm-hmm. you know even when he is like you know quote unquote like taking chances like he knows where he's putting the ball yeah. and it, it, it goes there every single time the, the ball placement mm-hmm. with tua is just it's just foul yeah, it's 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 going to be an incredibly fun race to continue monitoring. Um, I, I think right now I would give a slight, slight edge to Jalen Hurts just because he's so superior as a rusher. 23rd in the country in rushing yards, not, not for quarterbacks at any position. 8.8 yards per attempt. He has seven rushing touchdowns. He has more rushing touchdowns than J.K. Dobbins does on the season. Um, I mean, he's just basically picked up exactly where he left off and then some after leaving Alabama. Uh, and I also did the math on... Jonathan Taylor, he's 20 yards per game off of Ron Dane's Heisman pace, which is extremely concerning. So if there's if there's an advanced metric that you want to use to to try to predict the Heisman winner, if it's going to be a running back, if you're 20 yards per game off of the Dane line, like there's just no way it's going to happen. Everyone knows the Dane line. It's yep. been scientifically 169 yards a game. Nice. Um, yep, that's a senior uh, year. Also, you got to figure, you know, if you you mentioned like the need for Taylor to pick pick it up relative to that. You could probably argue that the easiest of Wisconsin's games are already in the books, right? That Kent State defense was not that bad. No, uh, yeah, no, I would, I would think you're correct. Yes, um, and, and to be fair, I mean, a lot of over the years, a lot of the great Wisconsin running back games have happened to come against teams that we thought would be really good. Like Nebraska has been victim to this multiple times. Thinking back to the massacre in Indianapolis and the Big Ten title game, I mean, that was mm-hmm. considered a 50-50 game at best for Wisconsin. And they had, I think three guys got over 100 yards in that game, the game where Melvin Gordon broke the record. Yep. Uh, that was at Madison. It was a snow game. But Nebraska was a very good team at that point. No one thought – I mean, 200 yards would have been a great day for Melvin Gordon, let alone like 400. Yes. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the schedule doesn't look great. I don't expect Jonathan Taylor to run for 250 on that Ohio State defense. I think Iowa will give him a good test. And, and even Nebraska in Lincoln will give him a decent test. Um, so you're, you're certainly not wrong to say that. But there have been times in the past where – a lot of the games where their running backs have been tripped up, you know, Northwestern, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I think Monty Ball during his Heisman campaign had a terrible game against like Western Illinois. Um, oh, they've they've right. kind of they've kind of come at random times. They haven't necessarily been against the teams that you'd expect. Okay, that that is a good parallel. That's my to, extremely to pro Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor is not going to slow down at any point. Take. Hey, I love it, and I mean it was well reasoned. Like you said, I mean those are those were legitimate games against big Big Ten competition that the Wisconsin running back tended to just still dominate, and I still think you know basically against anybody any defense in the big 10 i I give taylor an edge it's just a matter of can he truly eviscerate every Mm -hmm. single team the rest of the way some would say yes um all right let's take a quick look at week seven before we get out of here we we already talked about florida and lsu 13 and a half points is the spread on this one of course in favor of lsu at home is that too big does that sound about right has lsu given us any reason to believe that they won't just throw the ball all over florida even though they have a great secondary yeah florida florida's defense is really really tough and um i think the big the big matchup in this game is going to be how 
LSU's offensive line and Burrow handles the pressure that Florida brings because I think Florida's up to like 26 sacks already through five games or whatever it is. So they're absolutely killing the quarterback. I know a lot of those came against Miami in the in the first game of the season, but it's not like they didn't get after Bo Nix last week either. So we haven't really seen Joe Burrow take a ton of sacks just yet. I think LSU's just allowed nine on the season. So that'll be like the kind of the big storyline as to whether this LSU offense can keep going at its torrid pace. Because if this turns into um, a, a situation where Florida gets down by two scores, this could get really, really ugly for Florida. Because I don't think Florida has the horses on offense to to really keep up or or play catch up uh, for that matter. So it depends on who starts fast. Um, if LSU starts fast, then I think that they can cover that spread. But I, I'll give enough credit to Florida, especially on the defensive side, to where I think that they cover the spread. I think that they maybe hold LSU to like 35 points or something and maybe make this one like, like a 35-27 type of uh, win for LSU. So like LSU to win, I like Florida to cover. Another game between two highly ranked teams, Oklahoma-Texas. Uh, this one, of course, at a neutral site at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Oklahoma, pretty heavy favorite given the circumstances, 10.5 points. Um, you know, I, I expect Jalen Hurts to, to have success against this Texas defense that is that is really hemorrhaged yards against the pass especially. But, um, you know, as you may have heard, there's no love lost when these teams get together. So nothing Oops. would really surprise me here. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, coming in, into last year, we didn't know how good Texas was yet necessarily, um, and Texas beat Oklahoma in this exact game, and Kyler Murray was having an incredible season, obviously, up to that point and thereafter. I think this Oklahoma team overall is better than it was a year ago. Um, I think that uh, even with no Marquise Brown, I think that the offense really hasn't fallen off to any noticeable degree. They're, they still are tops in the nation in S&P, so I, I think that OU can maybe run away with this one a little bit i know that there have been times where texas has jumped up and won this one in even more in improbable circumstances i think 2015 uh they, they ended up beating uh oklahoma and oklahoma made the playoff that year there's the famous image of charlie strong uh getting carried off the field after that game and then <laughs> i think he lost to kansas about two weeks later uh that is one of my all-time favorite photos i was just looking back through my my google photos archive um and it, it kind of does like facebook or like time hop where it'll be like you know, these are the photos that are saved from this day. And that was one from like, it must've been the, like the four year anniversary or whatever. That's right. Just a couple of days ago. Ugh, iconic. <laughs> uh, we already talked about A&M Bama. We'll skip that one. Yeah. Uh, Penn state three and a half point favorites on the road at Iowa. Um, I, th- I think the pollsters made the right move, not really dropping Iowa all that much. I think they fell five spots, uh, in the, in the AP poll, which makes sense after that game against Michigan. Uh, but you, you have a nice, uh, little nugget here. James Franklin, Owen six, Versus ranked opponents on the road. Yes, so that that's encompassing his whole Penn State career to this point. And generally, you know, these Ofer type of stats or whatever, how predictive are they really on on a year to year basis? Like, it, I generally don't feel like they are, but it is, you know, it, at least. Uh, this is a big enough sample to where you can say like, oh, Franklin has struggled, you know, in big spots here, so that there's reason to at least raise an eyebrow. I mean, mm-hmm. I think. Arguably their strongest team was two years ago with Saquon and McSorley. Uh, Saquon had like safely won the September Heisman. They go up to Ohio State. We weren't sure what Ohio State was at that point yet. And Ohio State, you know, ended up ending up beating them, even though Penn State got out to a big lead there. So anything can happen in this one. I I think that this one will play out a little bit differently. Um, I 
I just think that Penn State's played well enough this year on both sides of the ball that I give them the edge. I, I think I agree with you in saying that Iowa is still a quality team, even though they lost on the road last week. Kinnick is a really tough place to play. But yeah, I, Penn State, Sean Clifford, KJ Hamler, uh, Jahan Dotson, and then just a, a ton of ridiculous players mm-hmm. on defense. Uh, that Yader Gross Matos guy, total stud coming off the edge. So keep an eye for him. That they, they're coming after the quarterback yeah. with uh, furious anger. And, some are some uh, are calling him Taba Hali 2.0. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, all right, the last game <laughs> we'll talk Courtney about. Brown. <laughs> but I, I can't think of Courtney Brown without just that image of the flag hitting him in the eye. His entire career was was defined by that. I thought that was Orlando Brown. Was it? I thought it was Courtney Brown. Have I lived my whole life thinking that was Courtney Brown? <laughs> I think so. Oh, my goodness. Like, the, for the Browns, right? Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, we'll have to edit that out. That's embarrassing. <laughs> and LeVar Arrington was in the news this week, too. So For what? Uh, just just like, like a boss? <laughs> mostly that and just ripping on Dan Snyder. Okay. Just saying how weird the Redskins organization is. So even on a college football po- podcast, I think that's still, like, <laughs> worth saying. <laughs> Yeah, I think from now on we should be required to like dig up nuggets on like former stars for each game that we preview. Like I, I could easily find something on Marvin McNutt, I'm sure. I believe it. Like your googling skills uh, are pretty much unparalleled. So I, I would, I think that would be a good addition. Yeah. Um, we'll finish out Washington State and Arizona State out west. This one just just to pick them i mean no one knows what to expect uh i'm not sure what you mean by this but you've labeled this the anti-spider-man meme game yes because they're they're too you know when it's a spider-man meme it's Mm -hmm. you know like that would be northwestern and and uh, oh crap i should have like a better example like like purdue when like purdue and missouri play each other just you know two teams that are like very the exact duplicate of each other in, in different conferences um, this this is obviously in the same divisions, but these two teams, like you said, could not be any for any more different. I mean, we have uh, the the sixth best offense in the nation going up against the ninth best defense in, in Arizona State, um, and then we have a very shaky uh, Arizona State offense going up against again a like we mentioned a shaky Washington State defense. So really, anything could happen in this game. I really don't know what to make of it. I think all I know is this does have the makings of being one of the premier weird Pac-12 mm-hmm. games of the entire season. We got Mike Leach versus Herm. Come on, baby. Like, that's so good. That's going to be so fun. Um, okay. So, sorry. I was discre- distracted by looking at the MLB scoreboard and seeing that St. Louis is up 10 to nothing in the first inning. Uh, is that a real over thing? Over the Atlanta Braves. That is a real thing. Um, oh, my so God. Just, just something to keep in mind. Um, <laughs> but two things we need to plug. We actually have things to plug before we head out. Uh, the the odds page on Rotowire's college football um, vertical, I guess, for lack of a better term, or tab, uh, has a lot of features. I will let you tell the people about them because you spend a lot more time working on these and, and refining them, and they look really, really good. Yes. So the the odds page, um, it's got a new feature on it. It's got the expected score metric. Um, we've kind of come up with our own proprietary um, measure, measures of efficiency um, so if you go to stats, the stats drag down and then go to team rankings, we have uh, things that measure offensive and defensive efficiency, kind of on, you know, like a football version of Ken Palm a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's useful. John and then Palm. We, use, we use that plus, you know, a couple other factors here baked in uh, to commit to create these expected score metrics um, for each game. So like for tonight's game, if you're listening to this before Fun Belt kicks off between Lafayette and App State, um, 
Louisiana Lafayette, two and a half point favorites, but we are expecting App State to win this one 32 to 28. So like just kind of interesting stuff mm-hmm. like that, that, that kind of, uh, some of it lines up really well with, with what the Vegas lines are and it makes it even tougher to pick a side. But you know, when the, when the expected results are a little bit different than what Vegas is implying out there, it's, you know, worth a little bit of extra mm-hmm. consideration. So, I mean, for me at least that, that led me to believe that App State can, can win tonight or at least cover that spread. And in a similar vein, uh, this was brought to my attention mid-podcast uh, via Slack. One, one of our uh, our coworkers has informed us that the college football page on CoverWire is officially live. Whoa. So we, we've not really, we've kind of done a soft opening, I think, of CoverWire. Um, it's it's still very much in beta, but uh, you know we're, we're launching an affiliate site to, to focus more on gambling, less on fantasy. And so far, you know, we've had NFL content since week one, we've had baseball content, uh, and college football is now the newest thing to be added. We'll be adding, you know, all the other sports as we continue. But, uh, if you go to odds.rotowire.com, um, that'll bring you to the homepage, pretty easy to navigate to the college football section. From there, we have a ton of bets, you know, basically anything that's offered on the FanDuel Sportsbook um, is, is kind of fed into here. DraftKings has similar offerings as well. So, you know, great breakdown of, you know, if you want to pick winners, if you want to pick covers, overs, unders, um, basically anything uh, as it relates to to college football gambling, odds.rotowire.com. Love it, man. That's that's so exciting that that we got the uh, we got the college football up on yeah. on the cover wire. I've been I've been waiting for that, so that's exciting. Yeah, it looks great. I, as they say, our, our tech guys really went off on this. They snapped. Kings. happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing american families time is short before something big happens and that's why so many folks are preparing they're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from my patriot supply go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com